Okay, Rob's here now. What's up? <laughs> What's up, Rob? How's it going? It's good. I mean, uh, it's nice to see you because we don't really see each other as much anymore. Yeah, it was nice when you were like just, well, you were in North Brunswick, but you're always in my basement, so it was always pretty cool to like go wake up, have your morning coffee. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Yeah. And then when you moved, when you were in Monk, when you were in Clifton, I was living in Bloomfield. That's right. We didn't actually like, you know, we hung out enough, but we didn't hang out that much because I was still in school and you were, uh, you, they were like, on tour down here or all over the place yeah when i when i was going to william patterson i was driving down here to play basement shows in new brunswick <laughs> i had to book you just to hang out with you <laughs> i mean but those shows at the, the hooeyman right yeah the hooeyman uh up in clifton i miss that house that was that was uh that was a real fun show house yeah it was yeah. uh it was fun because it wasn't like a show going crowd it was mostly montclair state students and you know you just get a keg and that and it's basically a party with bands but it, when you, it's almost like when you don't tell them that there's bands playing, they're always like, "Ooh, bonus!" And then they actually go to the basement because they want to see what's going on. Yeah. But um, no, we always had a good draw. We even had people like walk through snowstorms and whatnot because uh, I think it was just because Montclair was a dry campus and they didn't like uh, anything fun going on. So I get, oops, we were the bad house. <laughs> <laughs> it got pretty wild most it, of the time too. Yeah, it used to be the swim team house, so we kind of had a lot of the swim team and had a lot of. Uh, the people that would just go to parties at their house, they would hear about, be like, "Oh, I've been there before." Yeah. Not realizing it was, you know, filled with punks and whatnot. Yeah. No. Yeah. There were some really good shows there too. And I mean, it, when the New Brunswick saga for like our circle of friends ended, it kind of picked up at your place. I felt like, and I was always like grateful for that. You know. I mean, it was it was kind of just a need. I moved into a house with complete strangers, and. But you're the person. That's the thing. Like you're the guy <laughs> to be like. Hey, isn't music fucking awesome? We're gonna have house shows and it's gonna be awesome, and we're gonna part. Like you're a good person to to throw a party. Like you know, was, I was really walking on eggshells with it. I didn't know what any of these people were like. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be like, you know, like peering in the door like a cartoon. Like, um, it's okay if I have a few people over at a band <laughs> and a just a keg and a party. Over just like it's just a small thing it's on Saturday. Live music concert. Yeah. But uh, they were all about it immediately because. I think they, some of them may have seen it as, uh, oh, I don't have to throw the party this time. And the other ones were just down. They were, uh, it was a very fun house to live in for most of that time. And yeah. it was, it made it very easy to do shows. We didn't really have issues with the police up there. No, it's a good fact, area. Uh, I think they stopped by for one show and they let us finish it anyway. They're just like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. And, uh, we had, we had neighbors that were like the loud people on the block. So having bands blast until midnight was never a problem. Yeah. That's great for new, when you were running shows on Lewis street, was it, what was the name of the house? So the house went through a lot of name shifts. It was, uh, we wanted to call it camp on at first. Yeah. And there was a, we couldn't quite meet up with an agreement between upstairs and downstairs. That's on a salute your shorts reference. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Salute your shorts. Yeah. But, um, it was like right around that time where we couldn't call a house the same thing for more than one show. Yeah. So I, I guess you could call it that or um, you could call it in our city as I went by after it didn't matter anymore and I was running the house again. But yeah. for that time period, it was kind of just ask a punk. So all the flyers said ask a punk and uh, it, it basically is how it how you had to find shows. You yeah. To just ask people. It was all word of mouth, even with the Internet, because everyone was worried about like. Cops like you coming out and wrecking our fun. <laughs> Big hot busts, yeah, coming down. Yeah, especially that Lewis Street area, there were cops that would come quite a bit. 
You know, it was weird because there was real crime on that street. There, like a body turned up on the corner while I was living there. Dude, I but saw, the, I was going to see Slingshot Dakota and they're like, we have to stop the show. Someone just got shot outside. Like a kid on a fucking bike. Like, dude, once, fucked up. one time we were there, it was just like a Friday or a Saturday, like some just random night and nothing was going on. And then all of a sudden, like I, like I dropped my friend off and I got home and all of a sudden there had been a shooting in the house across the street from me. And I guess they had a party first. And I thought it was, like, I didn't think something was actually going on. I thought my roommates were messing with me, but apparently, like, they heard the bullet, like, ricochet off of the house in the alley and all hit the deck. So I'm kind of glad for my anxiety's sake that I didn't actually witness that. But uh, it was actually kind of funny because, like, shortly after I showed up, all the cops showed up. I was like, oh, shit, there actually was a shooting here. And uh, yeah, I got a phone call from Tommy from Nor at the time, and... Yeah, I answer the phone. He's like, yo, Rob, what are you up to? There's a party at the house across the street. I was like, Tommy, there's a shooting at the house across the street. (laughs) He's still in there just drinking the cake, thinking the party's lame or something. And there's, like, cops shining flashlights looking for bullet casings (laughs) or a shooter or something. That's awesome, dude. That, but that's that's what living at Lewis Street was like. It was, uh, it was. It still is, I think. We're just not there now. Yeah, it was but, like that part that was still technically Rutgers because the Ale and Witch was there, and at the time McCormick's was within that walking path. Yeah. But it was like dipping your toes into some of the more dangerous and like gang areas of New Brunswick. Yeah. So you know, stuff happened on that street. And it's only that stretch of Lewis Street. If you go up more, like when it goes to Cortland and loops around, like it's Yeah, like the closer like... you get to the hospital it starts to be a safer area again. But you know, if you head towards like French Street and around there you know, if you're a college student, I know people that have been mugged in that area. Uh my buddy Chris actually got jumped and had his Nintendo DS stolen there. That fucking sucks. Yeah, and it's like it actually happens like way closer to the college than you would think. Yeah. It's, uh, Rutgers is Rutgers has a pretty nice veneer. It's wild that we stayed relatively safe and like kind of out of trouble. I mean, like I wasn't up to that much shit besides like playing shows, but like for the amount of partying and stuff, like nothing really too bad ever happened. You know, yeah, you're. I got my car broken into once. I'm smashed open yeah. my window, but like r- all things considered, nothing like in terms of like physical harm coming to me or my friends or anything like that nothing beyond college drama ever really occurred like we had our head stolen our pa head stolen i remember that (laughs) remember you found it at the fucking trading post (laughs) i was just like i was yeah i was was just out looking for cheap gear because i had no money and i you know bands i wanted to be in yeah yeah and i was like oh shit that's joe's that's Joe's. yeah (laughs) and they wouldn't give up We, we all we all i'm not gonna say names we all know who took it but they wouldn't say it. So Eventually, it like, he the guy kind of hinted at it when I guessed. Like after like ten names, he's like, "That might be a person." And then like you had confronted the person because we were at a, a party, right? And that person was there, and you were like, "Yo, Gabe and Joe are here, and they know you took their PA head and pawned it off for must have pawned it for like forty dollars." And the person went up to me, of course, didn't go up to Gabe because they know Gabe would have fucking rocked the shit out of them, and was like. Dude. I know, look, I'm so sorry. Like, I was with these guys, and they had knives, and they told me to do it. And look, if you want to punch me in the face right now, like, you totally can. And I didn't, because like, I, I don't. Was it That won't accomplish anything. Yeah, like, looking back now that it's been, like, six years, and I still haven't gotten money, like, I'm, like, salty about it. But, like, you know, hitting him wouldn't have done anything. 
it would have just brought more negativity to it, I guess. I kind of just have to eat it. Like, oh. If anything, if there was ever going to be a level of closure from uh, someone who gets a, it gets himself into a situation like that, you're definitely not going to be on good terms if you, like, punch them. It's, it's like, it's it, the same thing. It's not going to solve anything. You're already in a bad situation. It'll just make it worse. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just not the answer. And, you know, there's bigger problems out there to have than, like, losing 100 bucks because a kid... This shitty thing was that they pawned the PA head because they know we were running shows. Like, they know, like, this is a spot. The garage isn't locked. They've booked my band. He's he's used that PA to play shows that was the greasy in part. that basement. So he, he knew it was there. Yeah. But I think it's, he was, it's, it's sad. He's probably using and like, you know, Hey, he, he does have a lot of problems. I, I, every 18 months I hit him up. Like, are you ever going to pay me back? And I'll get in silence or I'll get, sorry, bro. Things are real tough. And like, you know, it's, it's silly of me to keep trying, but I'm going to try forever. Probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at the time, like, you know, when you're in college, no one has money. So, you know, everyone was passing around the PA like, yeah, can, are you are you doing a show this? Can I, can I use your PA, please? Yeah, and we always... I'll buy your band's merch if you let me use your PA. <laughs> yeah, and we would totally lend it out, too. It was just, oh, man. You know, what are you going to do, you know? It's, it's yeah, it's just one of those things that just just becomes a story at that point. Yeah, exactly. Something for me to complain about. <laughs> yeah, like, but that was Lewis Street. Things like that happened. One of the most ridiculous things that happened was, uh, so I was bartending down the street from there at the time and, where you know, were you back bartending mccormick's oh yeah you were <laughs> i think i'm the i'm the me and uh, nick are the reason that they started having shows there too yeah that was rad like, they're gone now right they are what they, building was that that is um i drew i think i drove past it like a year ago and looked at it but i keep like just not being near it it either got knocked down or renovated i i don't know it's it might still be there. Yeah. I just haven't seen it long enough in the way things change. It was on Hamilton with. Street? Yeah, it was all the way down Hamilton past the hospital. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'd always, like, bartend kind of late and uh, we'd get out at, I guess, like, usually around 3 a.m. by the time everything's cleaned up and we're heading home. And, you know, sometimes, if you know, we had our friends there, we'd let them hang out. So we all went to my house one time and uh, my buddy says hey uh, my friend's gonna stop by he owes me some money so I was like okay yeah that's fine I mean you're, we've, we've all been drinking all night at work I don't care if like yeah invite people over at my house at three in the morning I'm actually okay with this and, yeah you know, at that time in my life I totally was I was like sure I was I was I was like I went to military school so I had the worst FOMO when I moved to New Brunswick I just didn't want to miss out on anything yeah. so I was like I was ready to party all the time <laughs> is, that, is that when your name was dubbed or did um, it happen earlier we can get to that okay that was right around that time yeah yeah uh that was actually that was a big silly joke <laughs> but we um so he said i was like yeah sure your buddy can stop by and uh he didn't tell me his buddy was a dozen bloods oh my god <laughs> so i was just like yeah let's just come on up and all of a sudden my house is filled with gangsters and i was just like <laughs> I don't think I realized it at the time. I found out after they left. I just kind of like mini shat myself because, well, first off, they were all very nice. It was it was awesome actually. That's good. But afterwards, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> you 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 didn't tell me your friend was a dozen bloods, man. Come on, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, well, at least you did a good good job of not of not frightening me. But, yeah, you at know. least they were at least they were a nice guest. <laughs> they were. It was a it was a pretty good experience. You never know what kind of shit you're gonna get into, I guess. But um, the whole Rob Gnarly nickname goes back to a band that never happened that I was going to do with Tom Murphy. 
and uh, it was going to be called Bob Gnarly, and <laughs> MySpace was in its, like, last dying out little strings of being a website with any relevance at yeah. the time, so I jokingly just changed my name to Rob Gnarly on there, and it, it just... it kind of went out of hand because people just started calling me it, it stuck well myspace names used to stick like hard you know dude, they still do like if you had a myspace name back then chances are people still know you as that yeah even if even in a completely irrelevant like field it's just because anyone who you've gathered as a connection from that era knows you as your myspace name and yeah. that was like the first time people were like i don't want to say safely but like more openly communicating with strangers on the internet you know, exactly yeah. what your parents tell you not to do we just fine you don't want us on chat rooms watch this yeah and myspace happens so and everyone was doing it so it was okay like once everyone was doing it it was different i guess well it's at the weird, time though. it didn't feel like it was your social media because uh the, the, calling everything social media didn't it wasn't totally a thing yet it just felt like you know, this is this is my space. It's your own little website. It was yeah. a time where it was really cool to have like something that you like a piece of the internet that you could sculpt out for yourself and kind of create this image of what you wanted people to see you as, even if that wasn't you at all. Like I look, if you looked at my MySpace at the time, I've since gone back and now it's they all look the same now. But uh, yeah, you know, I learned HTML from making myself look like a little street punk, and uh, that's this image I was presenting to people. Meanwhile, I'm like shaved head uniform living at military school so it's like you could really it was really the birth of drastically changing who you were well yeah to, to the internet and it's kind of like the great start of a downward spiral spiral to where we are today but we were going to start this band called rob gnarly or bob gnarly and it didn't happen so then as a result people would just call me it and it was more so people i didn't know my friends knew who i was yeah um my previous MySpace name. No, but, no. <laughs> That's who I really was. <laughs> no, but my friends actually knew me, and I started to realize that if uh, anyone had something bad to say about you, and, you know, everyone had something bad to say about at least someone else, and that someone was sometimes you. It just, you know, that's what happens in a scene. Not everyone likes everyone. Yeah. So uh, well, I found you, out you that... You put yourself out there a lot, too. Yeah, so I found out people were, uh, you know, if they were saying negative things, they are always saying negative things about rob gnarly not rob and it wasn't like i was doing that to cover up for doing anything that was like you yeah. know weird or whatever or things i shouldn't have been doing but it was just kind of nice to know if uh you know if you hear something on the grapevine about yourself you can kind of separate the bullshit real quick that way yeah so and it kind of it kind of made things easier just almost your alter ego yeah it's just like oh they're making fun of internet me <laughs> So we mustn't have met yet. Yeah. So I guess Rob Gnarly came to exist and then you joined Stressed Out after? So Stressed Out was started by Richard and I. Yeah. Uh, he's since moved to... I think he's lives in, in Chicago now. No, he's in California, actually. Really? Yeah, I saw him on the uh, the the Birthday Massacre tour, the Birthday Massacre Comedy Christ tour we did in 2015 and he came out to our oh, show that's at awesome. Slims. Yeah, so which, this is like 2008 Hub City Hardcore, probably early, right? 2007? So, uh, I have a feeling like Pete or someone's going to listen to this and tell me how wrong my dates are, but yeah. I've, never been, I've never been good with dates. I'd like to say we started in... Uh, like, our first show was the summer of 2008. Okay. And then it went until... I think it went two years and uh, stopped in 2010. Yeah. Our last show was 
in that sounds uh, our, about right. In the, my basement at the time. A, just a ball of energy that burned out quickly. Yeah, like it was, two it, years of just raging and thrash. Like a thrash. I guess you call it a thrash band. Well, Municipal Waste was like hot right then. So yeah. we, we wanted to be uh, we wanted to be a thrash band. We wanted to be Heshers. We wanted to be the dudes from Wayne's World or whatever. What's a Hesher? For. It's just like what you hear people call thrash people. Okay. It might not be a term that you hear so often, but it's like, you know, like 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 metalheads from the thrash era would yeah. be considered that. But we like wanted 80s, to be the, yeah, like, we wanted to be yeah. the guys from that movie, The Stone Age, in band form. Yeah. So we started this band, and honestly, the first couple practices until we kind of pulled it together as like a much more metal band. It was uh, we would just we would just like come up with these these punk riffs, and we would just do them in an attic or down the street or in uh, our basement or uh, Justin's basement at the time, eventually our basement. Yeah. And a little bit at uh, Fuck Mountain. Uh, you know, and yeah. named too many venues by name, but that was a great venue. Well, name. that person owns Spina Records now, right? Yes, he, that was his place. We recorded our our uh, demo there, actually. Oh, right on. In that shed. Yeah. But um, we were practicing there, and we are practicing all over the place. Anywhere we could get practice space, we would do it, because we couldn't keep using the same house for whatever reason at the time. Sure. And I was in the dorms. And, uh, you went to Rutgers? Briefly, yeah. Okay, yeah. But uh, we would just get so drunk during practice that it was <laughs> it was, it was, was bad sometimes. Like, we would like, be, like, breaking bottles because we were dropping them. And uh, One time we went into the Rutgers dining hall and cooked Douglas right after practice because I'd worked there, and as a result, my guest swipes didn't mean anything. I could just bring my band in for food. <laughs> and and uh, my, my, uh, one of the members was... Uh, a little bit drunker than the rest of us, and he kept laughing at this girl's Uggs, and <laughs> and uh, we, we were all pretty uh, pretty drunk at the time. Yeah, just sitting in the dining hall, looking sleazy. And was it at least nighttime? Oh no, it was like it was probably about this time of day, maybe a little earlier, like <laughs> yeah. the, the time of day where everyone's sick of being at school all day. Yeah. So eventually, she just comes up to us and she yells at me about it. She goes, "What's your fucking problem?" And I'm just so like. Like non-confrontational and just terrifying because I it really came out of left field. He's laughing so hard that I can't do anything about it. I the whole thing just kind of became a blur because I was just like just jaw on the floor like what's happening right yeah. now. That's fucking great. At that point, the room starts spinning. No, it was Man, it was real. Yeah, but uh, that's so how that all started, going. and then eventually uh, Pete joined the band. Uh, Aaron left the band, and Tom Murphy joined the band, and as soon as he joined, we went real metal, because he was, like, he was getting real good at blast beats around the time, and, you know, you don't want to not use those. No, yeah. So, like, that's when we really went to that heavier place, but the the original intention, or I don't even know if it was intention, it was just, like, the original result of us playing music together was what uh, uh, Mark Bronzino said at best the band that can't decide if they want to be anthrax or lifetime <laughs> i was like oh no it's pretty good description that's not bad that's not a bad line to fall between yeah, we had a lot of fun with that i tried i tried to get the band back together uh but i haven't had much luck with that yeah that's that's a burn that band that just you know explodes and then like explodes like a star does i'm not smart enough to talk about this but then like burns out yeah know, it just it. it just happened really fast it was a we got to tour a little it was a good time yeah and then yeah it was, it, it was done then where it was like oh that's it's over i only knew you and rich i don't even think i knew you really at the time 
I think we started hanging out more like 2011. So the first time I met you was at a show in a gymnasium in South Jersey. Oh, so Rich was there too, because that's yeah, when he, I remember. He brought yeah, me in other. the ride before I met you. He's like, "Oh yeah, we're going to see Joe's band. Everyone thinks he's me." And I saw yes. you like, "Oh my god, that really looks like him." Yeah. And we knew each other from the NJ Ska boards. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I miss the whole NJ Ska board thing. Like, yeah. everyone talks about the NJ Ska boards, and I'm just like, is that, is that, did they live at the Hamilton Street Cafe? Yeah, like, other, honestly, other things that I missed out on. There's photos of, like, the NJ Ska board, and it's like 90 people in Hamilton Street Cafe. It's like a gathering. But I mean, that's when there was a real strong Ska scene. And, like, kind of post hardcore scene, because Marlo was playing, like, yeah, you guys, shows you guys were doing some good stuff. I think I had even seen Marlowe before I knew you. Um, at least at least once. I feel like I did. I don't remember if where, we, but we I just... We were regulars at Hamilton Street until we were banned. I'd never been <laughs> We got banned though. for fight. Oh, you were never there? Nah, they, there was a lot of fighting in like early 2000, or like yeah, late 2000s. Yeah, I mean, the whole hardcore. saga of like VFW shows getting shut down one by one. And fights would always happen during Marlowe sets. And like, I don't know why, because... We weren't the heaviest band, and we were, like, you know, fucking 15, 16, but we were playing with all these bands that were, like, 20, 21, and, like... People were mad because they couldn't mosh well because they couldn't understand your rhythm. It's too technical. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to mosh in 3-4 into 4-4 four, four into 5-7, man. I need help. <laughs> Literally banned from Hamilton Street because we did a battle for Warp Tour, and, like, I, we definitely had to sell tickets, but we probably sold, like, 80, 90... And, like, we started a fight. I didn't start the fight, but it, it was almost sure? a riot. Like, someone broke... Like, someone tried to escape next door, and a friend threw a chair through a glass window, and, like, like five guys beating up. I'm not proud of these days, but, like, it's just what happened, and it was, like, man. Remember, like, there was mosh crews and shit. Like, this is really silly shit. Yeah, people went out of their way to, like, like fight at shows. I watched yeah. I watched a uh, thing Hate Five Six put up. Uh, I forget the band in question, but uh, they put up a video of a band playing what I think was the church in Philly. And it was from like ten years ago. Uh, when this this may have been two years ago when I saw this. This may have been last year. I forget how long ago it was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, within the past two years, though, I saw this, and it was the same band playing the same venue, and it was just like the first one was just people packed in and singing along and just like just really enjoying the show as close to the stage as they could all get, and then the next one was just. Just everyone standing in the back because they don't want to catch a fist or whatever, and it was it was kind of eye opening. Like shit, that's like it's not good when people just associate getting harmed with the music that you're playing. You don't want to be that like, band, especially when it's exact. It's not even like a genre specific problem, as this as this video points out. It's like something that's a little more just like prominent in smaller shows these days. Everyone just you know. Everyone just assumes that whatever you play, it's a metal core band, or if it's me at least. Um, but <laughs> but then they just assume that oh, you play metal core, and I'm going to get hurt at your show. Yeah. And even if the band is like a mellow math band that might have like a slower breakdown for a second, like uh, it's people are just afraid of getting hit, so everyone stands as far back as they can. Yeah. It's no. true. I was I went to um uh, there's like a Moss for Paws benefit show like recently and I saw like Remembering Never and uh, like On Broken Wings played and like Fit for an Autopsy played too, and a year spent cold reunited and like within ten seconds the girl that was moshing like got fucking knocked out real bad like face bloodied and then p p afterwards people were like not for nothing but she should have known 
that that was going to happen. And it's like, it's strange, but it's interesting because like I don't go to those shows a lot. I know when I go to them to stand back, like I'll dance at like Meat Locker shows where it's like, you know, like 60 people and you know most of them and like you can have fun and like I'll, I'll mosh sometimes but like a show like that I'm like I don't know a lot of these people and like I don't want to mosh and people be like who the fuck is this guy like at our show and like just get fucking punched in the face it gets kind of territorial I feels like dude I've been I've been punched really hard more than once at uh, hardcore shows I got yeah. I got knocked out at the Bled's farewell tour and there was really? like no one in the room there was like one douchebag that's all it takes that like I just got in the middle and wanted to dance for a little I just gave up and just decked me right the fuck out and yeah. I woke up on the floor with a sore jaw oh my god and then yeah. another one uh I had Troublemaker playing in my basement on uh, Lewis Street, and you know one one of the uh, one of these Mosh Warriors punched me in the face in my own house, and look, I got a scar still on this eyebrow from it. You do, yeah. Like it only takes one person, dude. That's yeah, the dude. fucked up thing. In my own house, like I don't think it's that difficult. It's like I'm hosting bands that you're coming to enjoy. Please don't punch me out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's all you're asking. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's. It's like small requests. Yeah, but, but I, I, it's gotten it's it's gotten to that point, and now it's I feel like Melkor on the whole is kind of in a bad place. It is, but I still think dancing is like important and cool. You know? Yeah, it's all about that release of energy. It's just yeah. it just developed into violence for no excuse me for no reason. Yeah, I'm all for people like letting out what they need to, and like I'm, I like getting pushed around. Honestly, one time I got punched in the face, and it made me so fucking pissed that I moshed like as hard as I could. I was like. Actually, that was kind of fun. I kind of get it. But, like, if I was a person that really didn't want to get punched, like, I was in the front, so I kind of knew what happened. I was hoping it wouldn't. But, like, if I was a person that didn't want to get moshed, like, hit, like, it fucking ruins your night. Yeah, like, and even, like, if you go back a couple of years to when it wasn't, like, all about starting fights and everything, people still got punched. It happened. And it was never, it was always, like, there was respect involved. And uh, a good example is I saw Senses Fail at Starland, and... You know, every time they play Bite to Break Skin, I lose my shit because, you know, hopeless emo kid on the on the inside forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like dancing pretty hard, but I always try to, like, not hit people, you know? And some guy got the back swing of my fist, and uh, I got him good, and I felt really bad. And I went to the bathroom afterwards, and he was in there bleeding all over the sink, and I was like, I felt so bad, I apologized, and he didn't even care. Yeah, he was just like, yeah, that was so cool, and I was just like, <laughs> you know, no one was out to harm each other, and I like, I still felt really bad yeah. about it. I don't, you know, you don't want to punch someone that didn't do a thing to you, and yeah, this poor kid's bleeding all the bathroom, but the biggest smile on his face, I'm like, <laughs> how do I feel? <laughs> yeah, it's a case to case. Like everyone, everyone has a different take on it. Remember when we saw Senses Fail and you climbed on the the, you jumped from the ceiling? Oh man, that was really that was so. This was uh, we had real four loco. The last of the real four loco. So this is like 2012, I guess. Yeah, we took the train in, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we we took the train in from Montclair. We went to the Highline Ballroom in New York. That's what it was. Then we first we went to like the liquor store. It just got more alcohol because that's what we needed. Uh, These days, I kind of I look at like anything like that, and I I already feel the hangover. Yeah, but uh, like we just got way drunker than we supposed to. I just remember giving my my roommate Joe. It was there with two Joes. Yeah, I gave Joe twenty bucks. I said, "Like, I'll meet you outside. Get me the record (laughs) because they had a tour press of Renaissance. That was the time period. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because Such Gold had Misadventures out, and they were on that tour too. Yes, kind of weird but cool. Yeah, and uh, I just I just climbed up in the balcony that no one was watching, and I 
I got out onto the rafters. And I, I don't know why I did that. I couldn't tell you why. It was just like Four Loco. Like yeah. Four Loco made you do crazy shit. If you had a crazy idea, you did it on Four Loco. You that was you jumped like it's probably the, uh, twenty feet. It's at least it was at least a story. Yeah. It was you were on the second floor of the building. You climbed out to the rafter of the middle of the venue. It was during one eight seven by Census Fail. Yeah, I think. It, was, it was gonna be the last time I ever heard that song. Which they still fucking play it, right? Like, well, um, I have the set list from their last tour I went to, uh, which I think was their last tour, and they played part of it. Okay. So uh, I forget, yeah, bad with math, but uh, whatever half of one eight seven is is what they wrote on their set list that they played half of one eight seven. But uh, yeah, I, I climbed out there. And uh, I just remember, like, grabbing the rafter above my head and turning to the VIP guy that was allowed to be in the VIP section I had snuck into to do this. And I was like, don't tell on me, bro. He's like, hold on, I got this. <laughs> he just pulls out his camera phone. And, yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. I could have gotten really hurt, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, the guy could've. that caught me punched me in the face and then hugged me. I was very <laughs> confused about that. <laughs> and uh, I got thrown on stage and I got grabbed by the throat by a bouncer because that's, you know, anytime you stage dive or crowd surf at a venue that you're not supposed to and yeah. the bouncers having a bad day or whatever, they like, you know, they grab you by the neck. They'll be that's rough. Where, yeah, it's especially uh, the Trocadero used to be especially bad about that. But um, he, he grabbed me, they, and he starts, like, shoving me towards some back room at this venue, and I was just like, no, fuck that. I just ran out of a fire escape and just bolted all the way down to the waterfront. And in reality, I could have just waited out front. They weren't chasing me, but yeah. at the time in my head, it was you like I thought there was, like, a like a whole chase scene behind me, <laughs> and you know, all the fruit stands were coming out to catch all the cop cars <laughs> off guard. And, <laughs> But, you know, that was all in my head, and really I was just running for no reason. Like, all right, I got to find the Joes again. Was it you or someone else that pissed in a phone booth, too? It might have been someone else we were with. You know, that sounds familiar, but I don't believe that was me. Okay. Um, that was a wild night. That was a wild night. Yeah. But, I I mean, it's New York. Yeah. You know, funny thing about New York... Um, we got I got my uh, I got an open bottle there one time because it's whatever it's it's New York yeah and uh, it was uh, it was it was a very silly experience and th- this this does connect so um, the cop came up and apparently they were looking for someone that fit my description so they didn't even care that I was drinking in the first place but they called it in so they had to do something about it so they they uh, wrote me up a ticket. And I went to start pouring my beer. I was like, you don't have to do that. That's great. And it, he's like, but I just feel bad. that He said, I feel bad that the ticket isn't for something better. It was like a can of Mickey's or something. <laughs> and uh, when I got the ticket, I realized that, like, you know, they show all the stuff that you get tickets for that are non-appear tickets. And it's like $40 more to get caught peeing outside in New York than it is to get caught with a drink. So. Oh, wow. It, it, something like that. I don't know the exact Dodge numbers, bullet. but... Uh, yeah, I thought it was really funny. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sure I've peed outside somewhere in New York, as we all have, because it's not easy to just find a bathroom, no bathroom. in New York City. No bathrooms. And it, yeah, to people that have never been to New York, there's no alleys either, so you can't just go into an alley and pee. You just gotta like, you either gotta find a McDonald's if you're lucky, and or you just gotta, you know, sneak it somewhere. Yeah, if you're in a if you're in an area that's super busy, you're gonna have bad luck. It really depends. Unfortunately, um, it's not that expensive. Bad luck there, but it's, you know, ticket's a ticket. Yeah. That was a fun show, though. Wait, Census Hill broke up, you said? No. 
Oh, they said they're, they're on their last. Oh, you probably meant their most recent tour. Yeah, the, no, no, the last tour that they played. Yeah, no, I think they're gonna be a band forever because they. That's all anybody knows how to do. I, I think follow your bliss. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think they were like. There's an article talking about them okay with being a nostalgia band, and if you listen to their new albums, they're good. I like the new they, one actually. I, I try to get all my friends listening. They're like, "Why are you showing me the new Census Fail album?" I was like, yeah, oh, some people cool. haven't moved past like the first uh, two, three albums yeah. that they did, and they've they've really like matured in their sound. It's I really, neat. I still get excited when Census Fail drops a record. Yeah, that's good. I mean, they still do well too. Hey, speaking of tour, you're going on tour. I am. It's uh, it's a long one. We're doing almost two months full U.S. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's that's insane. It's it's the biggest tour I've ever done, and I'm just like terrified, but I'm equal parts excited. I think I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, until the anxiety just like got a stranglehold around you until the moment you set foot on the bus and then it's just like all right we're once doing you're this. doing it it's like what else we're doing it like that's it yeah, yeah sometimes you gotta get past that first show too because that first show is always like the one where you gotta like get all un- undo all the kinks and uh yeah you know you gotta not take yourself you gotta take yourself not too seriously or take it too hard if you have a bad first show sure. like our last like two tours ago oh, two tour, last tour we went out and uh our first show was very strange. It was at a strip club, which I had never been to one until that time. So it was my first time in a strip club, and it probably wasn't the best time, place to play a show probably for not. that tour. Because, like, you know, obviously, people, like locals from the area were harassing the singer of City of the Week because it's a strip club, and they're the people that hang out at that strip club. So oh, was, they like the regulars of the club. Yeah. yeah. Like, I guess there was no, they were like, oh you're you're a girl and you're in the strip club you must be a stripper uh, and it was like it was that was kind of uncomfortable yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's it is gross where was it um not not in new jersey no definitely not new jersey i forget the exact location that's weird though was was there anyone there for the show yeah, there were people there for the show. Um, I, but that this might turn was, fans away, too. It's like at a strip club. Well, it was... um. So when we got there, it was still sort of open for business. It okay. wasn't like... Or at least while we were there, it didn't seem to be like a full nude kind of place. And there were a lot of posters on the wall, so it was very much also a rock and roll venue. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so But it was just like that transitional period between uh, daytime and nighttime, which, you know, I would have thought went the opposite. But uh, that's... <laughs> it's just like, you know, we caught a little tail end of the daytime trash like you know people that go and hang out at a strip club at daylight hours sure it's it's yeah. what it is grimy yeah but now you're out for two months but with the bus i gotta say that's probably nice right having a bus yeah i sleep so well on that yeah thing. wait it's... so you all have your you're gonna have to do like a with words you're gonna have to walk us through the bus because it's big right it's like a so we have a, a ford Econoline. line okay so it's a big like uh like the type you would see working for like a nursing home or something like that yeah like, like a it has a handicap ramp in it and such okay uh, just a, like those big white ford buses it was like a 20 passenger or something. oh okay i was picturing like 18 i don't know i was picturing like those touring like if you go on a tour to like atlantic city and like all the old people get on those like gigantic buses no no not like not like one of those okay. um it's it's still still pretty big though yeah it's it's um so when you get on board, we, uh, we're constantly doing battle with our door because the switch panel's been going bad for almost the entirety of having it. So we have a, a very finite way of getting our door open. And uh, 
you know, depending on how the bus is behaving that day, the door will open right up or we'll have to like, oh, hold on, you'll run around to the other side, climb through the driver's side, undo the uh, do not undo emergency latch. <laughs> yeah. Push it open, lock it when you get back on, make there's, sure you lock it as your last person There's always out. some trick that you have to do with your vehicle. Yeah, but we have, um, uh, when we first got it, it was very interesting uh, how we did things. We had four bunks, and someone was sleeping on the floor, and the bunks are uh, these, they're called disco beds, and we got them from Amazon, actually, and cool. just, uh, just mounted them to the floor with uh, some hardware. So we took out a whole mess of the seats and we just left two of them in there and we would just sleep on the bus. Like it's, you know, like vans too, but it was nice to have a little bit of room. We all have bunks that we've kind of claimed as our own and nice. put stickers around and decorate it, but, decorate your space. Yeah. We were actually, um, we were playing our last Webster hall show, which would be our last Webster hall show since it's no longer. And they were changing like movie posters at the theater on the corner and they're just throwing them out so we have a uh, christmas horror story poster that's stuck awesome. to the ceiling with stickers <laughs> that's fitting actually that's good but uh yeah we every time we go on there we just like draw weird things and put up weird stickers or yeah. like you know I have label maker at work so i'll just label things funny <laughs> <laughs> i had an astro van that i bought off craigslist like in 2000 probably it had to be after my surgery probably 2010 but like we just took magic markers because it was a white van and we just drew all over the inside just ran it into the ground jamie heidecker would fall asleep and i would draw like he'd be leaning on the wall and i'd draw like a penis going into his mouth very juvenile just on the bus yeah just, on, <laughs> just, just fucking around with it That's, i'm gonna steal that and just do that to felix it's a lot of fun because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a magic markers so the whole van is your canvas oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely have a ball but we've just been filling it up with stickers, so like every time, I just we all save up our stickers from in between tours and just put them all over the place. Nice, because you know we figure we're gonna run this thing into the ground, so it's our bus. Yeah, you know it's we've had its share of breakdowns, as anyone who owns a a, a touring vehicle will know. Yeah, they don't. They especially break down when you're on tour. It's like oh, they know. Oh look, you're you're gonna be in Nashville. Oh, that's a great place for me to break down. Yeah, but it's never that. It's always just like. The middle of nowhere of course sure but uh yeah so the first tour we we uh bought our t-shirts overseas you're telling me you and, got yeah. shirts printed in china we did and <laughs> it's probably a lot cheaper right so we overestimated how many shirts you would need for a tour like that and how it, long is the tour uh it was a month okay and we didn't get them on time so that's when we went to ross at merch kitchen and he was able to really really help save us there yeah uh, ross is awesome ross is it's his full-time job man. now dude i recommend ross to absolutely everyone because he's he's a man that's got a good work ethic yeah he always he puts a lot of care into what he does and he, the product always shows yeah but uh we didn't get our shirts in time so we uh thankfully thankfully ross exists um we had all our gear in the back we had just bought these uh aftershock cabinets mine was mine's a 610 and felix's is an oversized 412 they're like matched cabinets and at the time like the shows were great for it but my god getting those things into the bus the only way to get them into the bus was through the handicap ramp which would like intermittently fail so every show was kind of like is this gonna be the one is this gonna be the one where we can't get these things back on the bus and we can't close the ramp um so that was our first tour with the four bunks, but uh, we decided like sleeping on the floor is too cold. You got to have just like a little bit of 
buffer or like that sure. cold steel is freezing at yeah, night. Yeah, I've done that. It's not fun. It's not. Yeah. So we uh, we did that, and then we got a U-Haul for a tour, and it was just a small U-Haul, but that was an absolute game changer because uh, having extra space in the bus, like you don't have extra space as it is. Yeah. But uh, we've since gotten our own much larger trailer, and that's the best. Uh, we play a nice round of Tetris every time. And sure. Figure it, we, it. We have a way to exactly do it, and yeah. you figure it out day one. But uh, so this first store, we didn't get our shirts in time. We had to reroute them all over the country, and eventually we were to pick them up in Lawrence, Kansas. So originally we were ordering enough to get us through a year of uh, playing shows and tours and this and that, and we got all of them there. We weren't going to bring them all on tour, but we got all of them, and we didn't have the space for them. So there was, uh, there was I think, the five of us on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, uh, all of Echo Black and it was and uh, Danny's fiance Victor, who was doing our tour managing at the time. He's also uh, he's uh, he's got an eyewear company, fashion eyewear company called Material Memory, and he has a heavy hand in a lot of our, our design visual stuff. design cool. and as well as our graphic design, which is important for especially for bands like Echo Black. I feel, but also just in general. Yeah, he's done a phenomenal job. And just really puts his heart and soul into. Uh, helping us look awesome does he help with the videos too he does he uh mostly does wardrobe but uh he's really good at it yeah uh so we had all of them on the bus and it was just it was rough full of shirts <laughs> or wait what's this the one where we had a... oh no so this yeah this was the the birthday massacre tour yeah so we got them and at this point we had no space for anything because we didn't have a trailer everything all of our gear was in the bus mm-hmm. with these two massive cabinets, yeah. full drum kit, uh, you know, amps, guitars, uh, and a year's worth of shirts. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were sitting on boxes of shirts yeah. for for long stretches of this. Uh, That's rough. Of this tour, it was. It was. Uh, it was interesting, and they, it like it really, really didn't fit. So picture like. Picture seeing a band at a weird middle of nowhere Kansas Walmart parking lot that has like nothing around it. It's like the only thing there is this Walmart and you know the, the Robert Evans down the street or whatever. You get to see when you start getting to these places. And we were like, we went to Walmart and bought these big uh, Tupperware containers and we we're just like, it, it looked like we we're trying to sell our shirts out of our bus at a Walmart parking lot because they were just <laughs> everywhere. And, just try to organize them so it all fit and condense you know, it. Yeah, we yeah. lost the use of our seat, and uh, it was uh, it was a rough end to the tour in yeah. terms of travel. How many days did you have to do that? Um, I think it was only like fifteen, but that's you know still, that's, that's still rough. That's a like yeah, but uh, we've kind of got that got it down to a science now for how to, how to do that touring aspect and be more comfortable. Is this a headlining tour? The one coming up? Partially. Um, so for the first portion of it we are going to be supporting the genitorturers and for the second por- portion of it we're going to be headlining and moonfall is going to be supporting us cool what was the first band the genitorturers the gener genitorturers genitorturers like uh, torturing genitals oh like a pun like a fun pun yeah cool like a, a genital mutilation <laughs> a similar genre uh they're like an in- we're like a dance rock band and you know our roots are a little more industrial and heavier yeah. especially with uh some of the stuff Danny was doing but we've gone towards more of like a a dance rock band that still has the pop vibes yeah. that we're going for while maintaining a little bit of the dark side that 
we came from because we're all from like different but similar musical backgrounds it's almost like you could put us into a venn diagram yeah but the middle is uh pretty defined as what ends up being echo black sure so like we all share tastes like you know me and felix might both like one band uh I might like a band that Billy likes, but then Billy and like Felix doesn't listen to it, and it's it's kind of like that. Like we all have our very independent, unique musical tastes. Sure, and it's actually kind of funny. We get asked in interviews a lot, like what we a common question is like, what do you guys listen to while you're on the road? Like, uh, and it's it changes so frequently, but it's always just like, despite what we all listen to, like me coming from a punk metal background, Felix coming from like a like a kind of glam rock, uh, hair metal-y kind of background, Danny coming from an industrial, dancey, poppy background, and Billy coming from a more classical background that the end result ends up being what we do. Uh, but we end up listening to things like Frank Sinatra and Meatloaf and the Birthday Massacre on tour. That's fun. Like all sorts of this and that. Y- y'all have been doing this for a while too. Yeah, it's been a few years now. As a DIY band, may I add. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a label so we still yeah. it's a so DIY is an interesting term it got thrown around it gets thrown around a lot in punk rock and well yeah that's this is what we were saying before like do we sound like DIY bands and like is there a genre limit to what can be DIY because like when an angles goes out as a DIY band booking our own tours which 95% of like these post hardcore bands don't book their own tours they wait until like get an agent they try to get an agent um but we went on this tour ourselves, and for the most part, we played with math rock bands. And we're like, we don't fit with these bands, but I guess the people I was hitting up, I wasn't even hitting up math rock promoters. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. So it's different. You guys, you have your own, you have an agent, right? Someone's booking your tours? Uh, we do a lot of our booking ourselves. It depends. Um, we've, we've tried some agents before. I, I know Danny was doing a lot of the booking for this current tour, but I don't actually know. Yeah. So I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna act holier than thou because I, you know, I don't care. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't care who books the tour. I just care that it, the tour happens. Sure. So uh, you know, but um, we still do booking ourselves, and I mean, do your videos yourselves more or less? We work with people. Yeah. Uh, so we've uh, worked with like different filmmakers, and we kind of gone with their ideas uh, for some of them. Or we've had our own ideas for others, and the end result, no matter what, when you collaborate with someone, it always ends up being fantastic. Sure, it, there's, something always ends up being better. The videos uh, are great. You ha- Thank you. All very the much. videos are fucking really cool. Thank you. I'm glad you like them. I watched Burn Another Day like at least twelve times. <laughs> like, I love that. It's one. yeah, absurd, but it's really neat. The cool thing. Well, you're talking about DIY stuff. We're actually, I'm actually uh, in the process right now. I just cut it all together, and uh, I gotta start making them this week. But I did a limited run of handmade VHS tapes of all our videos up to this point. Really? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of work on that. I have to. I have about two weeks. Uh, I just finished making the video file last night, and I'm going to use Raspberry Pi to send it as analog to a VHS tape so it still looks authentic and it doesn't look crappy downsampled or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, you know, whipped out my synth and did some transitions. And That's I'm, really I'm pretty cool. excited about making that. You're gonna have it. You're gonna have it for the tour. Yeah, it's it's a limited twenty five. Cause who has a VHS player now? Exactly, but I I, I just always like v- music VHSs. Yeah. So VHS in general. So I wanted to do something like that, and so we're that's making creative. that happen. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you know, bands do weird stuff. Why not? Like, I, Pierce the Veil has hot sauce. 
Yeah. Like I've seen some weird band merch and you know, Kiss takes the takes uh takes it off for having the weird band merch title. Pretty much any household object. <laughs> yeah, I think Gene Simmons in the Henry Rollins interview said, uh, why shouldn't we be a facet a part of every facet of your life? <laughs> He's like holding up the Visa card. He's like, notice I'm holding it long enough for the camera to zoom in on it because it's free. <laughs> <laughs> but um DIY is an interesting topic because the line is very, very blurry on what's considered DIY or what's not. But when someone usually says DIY in the punk context, uh, the first thing my mind goes to is uh, hand-drawn flyers, uh, hand-screen-printed patches, uh, recording things yourself. Um, and it's a very cool aesthetic, and the mindset behind it is great. I, I get real excited every time that I see someone put the time in to make a zine. Yeah. I feel like more people get more people get discouraged about making zines than make them these days. Like they put it out and there's still a big stack of it on the table at the end of the well, night. Print is kind of a dead medium, but I'm a person that pick up a zine if you have one. Oh, I you'll am find, too. You'll find people that will. You know. Absolutely, but DIY when you think of it, or at least when I think of it, it it's not like it. It's less of a mindset, and it, it's almost like a mold. Like if you don't do absolutely everything yourself then you're not a diy band and you should be shunned or whatever I, I don't know maybe i'm overthinking about the context of not being diy but uh i think it's like an aesthetic too it, it absolutely is there's a there's a look to it yeah it, there's a look and a sound like lo, lo-fi and you know just your favorite bands are patches and you know, there there is a look to it or um Depending on, it usually kind of goes with like the musical genre. Like, crust punks always seem to have like screen printed patches. Yeah. Uh, more indie kind of punks you'd usually see will have like hand painted patches. And some of it, a lot of it stems from necessity originally, like low cost. Right? Yeah. Like doing what's cheap to get by so you can do this shit too. Yeah, you but know? you get you get to a certain point, and it's it's almost like when you're not there, you start to think, like. It, when it stops being DIY, that everyone just hands you everything, or at least that's what I kind of that's what I kind of thought about it when I was younger, and I, I'm still realizing that so much of what you do, even on a band that tours for long periods of time and uses marketing and things like that, there's you still do so much yourself that it it almost makes it incredibly difficult to be a band if you don't have that kind of mentality that diy mentality and of course there are bands that you know are put together by record labels or whatever yeah those still exist and you know there's people that don't have to worry about that because they're like into like a single musician and they have like a you know someone wants to produce what they're doing or they have a label that'll get behind it or they have uh you know if they have a successful single then all these opportunities and doors yeah. start up for them and companies will like throw stuff at them. Like in Haley Williams case, they made a band for her. Is that how that happened? Yeah. I was like, my paramour knowledge is awful. Yeah. I mean, I think they still wrote together. I don't think it was like, I don't think it was all like super fake, but she was signed as an individual artist through Fueled by Ramen and then whatever they got picked up after. That's why those two people quit later on i did not know that there's just different ways to go about doing shit yeah i mean like sometimes that works sometimes if you have someone that's got a vision they just they might just tour with like whoever's available at the time and yeah like look look at nine inch nails it's the same two two guys and when they tour they just 
get musicians to tour with them yeah and, and you can't say they are successful or doing it well they're, yeah they're tremendously successful they have artistic vision exactly and, so there's but there's a big difference between you know being someone with that vision who's putting something together yourself than a band that's put together by a record label there's those are two completely different entities. i mean you could smell the phoniness i could i have a fucking nose for, i get pissed off right away <laughs> i mean like bands and i i take it too far a lot of the time but like i've literally heard people say to me like oh if you want a lot of twitter followers just like follow all these people and then once they follow you back like unfollow them and that way like you know you get signed and it's like well but what are you what are we really doing like who like why even bother at that point just just buy followers if you, you don't care about the followers existing yeah you just want a number but you know that blows up in your face like the second you try to go do a show and all of these people don't show up you know, it's hard enough to get real people to show up to shows, but if they're not real people, they're, they're, <laughs> nothing's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's it's just like, it's very important to maintain a connection with an audience that came from a more organic way. Uh, when you get to a certain point, if you start using marketing to get to a broader audience, you just want to make sure you're doing it in a way that appeals to people that are like someone that would benefit from listening to you, i.e. someone that would enjoy it. So you kind of have to, like... Yeah. I think Echo Black has actually really helped some people, I would say. I'm, you know? glad, I'm glad to hear and that. And I think that's... music in general does, but, like, a band that's, like, Echo Black, which is pretty out, just in general, I guess the word out is just a broad statement. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, like, um, I could see, like, younger kids are just adults, too. It's, like, relating and the message, and, like, they're fun love songs, but there's, like, other messages in there, too, and I think it's neat, you know? Yeah, we try to we try to write things that are uh, that aren't super specific. Something that can kind of kind of stick with you a lot longer than whatever's happening in like a current political climate. Sure. At the same time, uh, there's there's some nice play on words we mess with that kind of keep it a little bit uh, gender ambiguous, yeah. so that it can appeal appeal to more people. So sure. like the like. Um, in poison apple like you be my queen i just gotta have it that means so many things like i could think about that being like a girl i'm fond of or you know it could be a drag queen it could be yeah it could be anything it could be it's it's so broad though so we want to keep that a little open and vague so it's not something specific for one type of person because i don't know for me for me music's always been about enjoying it just like just getting that feel from listening to it so we want to make something that's not going to alienate people i mean our videos may have had may have been a little stronger on those messages at some point i mean (laughs) the dawn video with the orange devil is yeah it literally said potus under it i can't pretend that wasn't no but that's that's fine but like you know like you don't have to watch the video to still listen to the music we just you know we try to keep our videos visually compelling sure and uh you know like big there, cinematic videos like uh like michael jackson type of, not that i'm comparing us to michael jackson i couldn't but yeah just everyone does like the uh video where you just play in a white room nowadays yeah so we wanted to keep it a little more interesting like poison apple it just came out we we're thinking about like old aerosmith style videos or whatever we wanted, like we did a lot of narrative type videos up until then so we wanted to do something that was a little more uh fun to show that like, like if you were to sit in the bus with us for a day, you it's it's the silliest shit. Like the way we interact with each other, yeah, is is hilarious. And sometimes it's it's hard to kind of 
demonstrate that side of yourselves to to a band to a, a band's fan base yeah so we wanted to do something that was a little more laid back and we literally just had everyone over to a house in brooklyn on st patrick's day and you know got some handles and had a party basically yeah it's fun and i uh, just filmed it it was it was a great time and yeah. the video came out great yeah awesome so i i was thinking about echo black i guess before you came and like i feel like is drag like and i mean drag's obviously a part of it but like it's almost like in the genre of music like i don't know i mean like so that's an interesting question that it would probably be a better question for for Dan. For Dan cause yeah. he Dan used to, um, if you ever watch any of his old Danny Blue videos, which is how I found my way into the band. I was uh, touring basis for Danny Blue on the final tour as Danny Blue. But once we had a solidified lineup, we decided to change it to yeah. Echo Black to to show that it wasn't just Danny, that we were all working on, our mu- on the music that we do. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot draggier before. Sure. But um I I it's I don't want to say we're specifically like I don't think we go with we're not specifically a band that's oriented around drag or anything like that, but we have a lot of uh we have a lot of fans that are uh that do drag. We have uh we have drag queens in our videos. Yeah. And uh we do like I don't know I don't know how many drag queens you've met, but they're always just wonderful people. At least, at least what I can tell. I'm For sure, sure. Yeah. I'm sure someone's gonna be like, "Well, I know this one." <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, there, I see drag queens very frequently at our shows, and I'm very supportive of that. I, I love it. That's cool. Uh, and in fact, actually, since playing in Echo Black, I've gone to more drag shows because uh, I didn't realize I was missing out. They're fun. I went to one in Philly. Uh, I think it was like two Halloweens ago and there was a Pennywise in drag. And I was like, this is great. That's awesome. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, it was like uh, last Halloween, two Halloweens ago. I forget. I played at a like pride festival in, in Massachusetts and there was like an all day drag show. And then we played at the end, but it, it was pretty neat. I wish it was like in a club at nighttime. Cause that seems like the place, like the vibe for it, but it was like a daytime drag show. It's still yeah. pretty fun. The first uh, show I played on the first tour with Danny blue was at the rock bar in New York. I think it was called the rock bar and uh it's it's a uh it's a like gay bar in uh i guess like near the meatpacking district or chelsea or that area i i could be getting that wrong i'm i'm not the new york one in the band yeah but uh but it was a it was a gay bar that we played at and this is like my first real experience going to places like this not that i had any aversion to doing so i didn't care yeah i just you know i just I just don't go out to that many bars in general to begin with. Yeah. So it was like the first time I was I was there, it was uh, a little bit of culture shock. Just sure. because I remember at some point Danny coming up to me and being like, you know, that's a guy, right? Uh, to one of the queens. And I did, but it was just like trying to trying to visualize, visualize like a slow head turn, like, <laughs> like a, uh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But uh, that was the first, my first kind of uh, experience getting into that world, and it's it's a fun world to be in. If you're not if you're not going to drag shows, you're missing out. Yeah, they are a blast. Yeah. So yeah, I have to definitely credit the band for. I mean, obviously, you're Dan's gonna be who they are. Like you're all gonna be who you are, but like you're not afraid to like be weird and incorporate it in your art. Like the music is 
you know, it's dance pop. And like you're saying, the lyrics are ambiguous, but if you see the band and watch the video, you like get what it's about, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the things that, you know, because I uh, back to the point where I said about how we're all coming from completely different musical backgrounds, I'd like at first I was just filling in. I went, was just going to go on the tour with uh, Danny as his bass player pre-Echo Black until mm-hmm. we decided to keep it as a band. And um, I don't know, it was just like we all were completely ind- unique individual people with completely different taste. And somehow when we all get together and we like we write this music, we do a lot of our writing on our own, um, but when we get together and we uh, write music and everything, even though we are so different, we're able to incorporate aspects of what everyone does into what we do. And the end result is everyone asking us what genre we are over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that. I, I, it's, it's very difficult to explain our genre without just going like, here you go. You don't have to like it, but you check it out if you want or don't. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's working. I, mean, I don't know a band that sounds them. like us. So it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to put a, put a, like a label on it. I think one of my favorite things people said about that was, uh, like a mix between Marilyn Manson and Lady Gaga. That's, that's what awesome. I heard. Um, oh, that's so cool. I've been hearing a lot more, but with Duran Duran influence. And I just kind of let people describe it for us until I find something someone else has said. Because, you know, I could, I would just like try you know, digging through my brain knowledge of metal bands. Be like, what's the closest thing to this? Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, dance rock is what we've kind of, settled on I think after it. the new album that's an appropriate fit too like, yeah and it's not life. even entirely dancey we've done uh like we did reckless heart which was a lot more of like a mellow kind of synthy jam so even I, like the classical guitar style like interludes too like helps make it different yeah that's uh that's a lot of that um comes from billy and then uh he, he's like really good at writing really like epic kind of work and uh, like, if you listen to the album all the way through, there's like a lot of the dancey stuff, but we wanted to make it kind of feel like it had a progression to it. And so all the songs aren't necessarily exactly like each other, but then we uh, finish up with Fool's Gold, which was the uh, like eight and a half minute long song we did close the album out with. Yeah. And we kind of gave the ending a very like Broadway ending vibe to it. Very like because like we're from new york what's more new york than broadway so like a big kind of broadway closing point yeah. and it fits too but what's interesting though is i feel like the production is like slightly and not in a bad way it's actually more to my style but it's like less polished in the way like compared to like a pop song like i felt like it was like i could hear the band playing now like less compression i'd say on drum like drum sounded like drums and it still had a dance vibe and like it still like made you want to move so was that like intentional or that's the way it came out Well, yeah it's we use a lot of electronic stuff in our music of course but it uh, sounds natural i think well i've been trying to actually like work real synthesizers into it so now i've been slowly dragging more stuff on stage and bill does that too so he's got a uh he carries a, a nord and uh a Nord drum pad so we can still incorporate some of these things and at the same time make it a little bit different live because our live show is different from what you're going to hear on our album our albums uh you know like this is kind of like the archive of the song this is uh the the archetype of what it should sound like but when you come to see it live 
it's going to be with real instruments uh you're it's going to sound different yeah. and that's what we really like to have our live show that's the most important thing about this band because our stage synergy is beautiful is all i can really put it as i love playing with them yeah it, it's so natural it feels great i haven't seen it in like three years i think oh, I'm, I'm, come, I'm due to come to the show out. yeah but uh it's like the way we interact with each other i know some bands will like they'll choreograph things but we just kind of get on stage and goof off the entire time and you know after doing that for a few shows on a particular tour we start to pick up off of each other's cues someone will be like oh he was doing that i'm going to do that during uh this part and then they could just kind of become ingrained as as part of the show even though we didn't ever formally sit down and say okay for this part we're going to do this yeah. it just kind of happens naturally that's that organic way. yeah you want that and that's what i get with playing with uh yeah Echo black because it was a band that you were all sort of thrown into yeah i was just i just kind of learned the songs the daddy blue songs for the tour yeah and uh it was just so much fun playing with them yeah it was, it was I, I was only playing in like metal and hardcore bands up until that time so it was just a it was it was so drastically different um the scene was different uh everything about it was so far from what i had been doing yeah. but it couldn't have been more fun because it was all things that like you know what let's let's see what happens here like i don't have to make the music that i particularly listen to and i'm not saying i don't listen to my own band i, I probably do too much uh, <laughs> And like anyone who out there, I can understand the anxiety with not wanting to listen to your own band, but you should listen to your own band. If you, if you can't listen to the music you make, why make it? Yeah. Why, like if you can't honestly tell someone that you enjoy it, then it's difficult to like, like you got to be behind your product. And in this case, our music is our product yeah and it's so it's easy to get behind even though it's something like i said something that none of us uh have really it's like it's hard to call figure out what it is it's yeah hard to know what to call it but uh like i really enjoy listening to my own album yeah and i agree with that i think you need to if you want people to be drinking your kool-aid you should be drinking it too I can't just not listen to my album and then just tell everyone all right you got to check just, it out check it out no, yeah. I don't listen to it, but you should check it out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's like it's like Alex Jones shit. It's like you think he's taking all those supplements he's selling people? Get real. Yeah, no. He's just selling you that garbage. But no, we're, we, we want to – I mean, I hope the rest of them listen to it too, but I listen to it all the time. Yeah. I really – You should be like proud it. of it. It's a cool record. Thank you. 50,000 Spotify followers. Right, that's right. We're at 53,000 monthly – that's uh, listeners right now it's that's mind-blowing that's the most honest real. metric you'll find online now I, I i think this is how i feel now because yeah you can go facebook likes or twitter likes but those can be easily inflated and spotify followers someone is actually listening to your music and that's what this is about at the end of the day who's listening to you on who's listening to your music like granted people are buying it off Bandcamp. although i'd say echo black would be less of a Bandcamp band. Like, we um, I don't believe we have a Bandcamp, but we're yeah. on uh, we're on the other outlets. We're, yeah, you know, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon. Yeah, Bandcamp more is more like rock, rock realm, or well, not necessarily, but I, I don't know. Bandcamp is just the placeholder for when MySpace music went away because that used to be the best way to get people to hear about your band. Yeah, you got to pick four songs 
Uh, you could let them download it because everyone had an iPod around that time. People could feature it on their profile. Yeah, th- so that cool. was the most organic. I think that may have been the best like time for independent music in my lifetime. I'm not going to say it was the best time for independent music because so much of music I was not alive for. Yeah. But I think it's very safe to say that that was the best time for independent music in my generation. It was it was a lot easier to do things for sure. I mean, we could complain about Facebook all day about the way that views are skewed and everything and like your audience, like your reach and all that. I mean, like it's been every everyone listening knows already. So. Facebook, yeah, Facebook decides what kind of person you are blindly yeah. and then just based off of whatever you're doing and then everything is going to be skewed towards that and yeah i can understand the initial concept behind that where you'd like to give someone a tailored experience well they're trying to get you to stay on your your device for as long as possible because it's a business at the end of the day they're trying to monetize your you patron patroning patronizing the site right they're trying to monetize you being on facebook the more the longer you're on it the more ads you see yeah it's it's an absolute mess these days i get it's i probably get five like people trying to sell me sex cams like a day really on facebook yeah wow do, do, do you want to see it no <laughs> no they're fake profiles you know yeah yeah, and yeah. I, I, I get, i'm pretty I sure they're sometimes. they're just like fishing for blackmail yeah well that's funny as someone we know who i won't name actually um i guess i don't know if it's through tinder but they like jerked off on camera for someone because the person asked, it was like consenting, but then they like screenshot it and they're like, I'm going to show your family members and went through the friends list. Like, I'm going to show your mom and name their mom and like all this shit. And like the police had to get involved. There's this whole thing. Unless you send me a hundred dollars or a thousand. I don't remember what it was, but they got blackmailed. Here's, here's, here's my blockchain. Send me all your Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I got catfish once, but I was like 19 and like really stupid and like, I don't know, it was dumb. <laughs> Aren't you the catfish king now? Yeah, now that's what I do. up your spot. <laughs> <laughs> that post is still up when I catfished a bro guy. I was still thinking, of, I was thinking about making a, uh, a Tinder profile as a dog and just responding with like wolf, wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and swiping right everyone just to see what I could fish out of terrible people. Yeah, you never I, know. It, it could be fun. I mean, the, the internet can be fun. It's amazing how, like, how you could see someone's absolute dark side with some something as simple as that. Like, I, I guarantee you, if I did that, I would get some uh, some bizarre stuff. You get some dirty shit, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a scary place. Yeah. Human interactions at a very weird thing, weird place. This uh, this era. Well, yeah, because like, you're not you're just a picture online you're not a person so it's like you can build your own persona right like I, i'm a cop right that whole bit like you know you can do whatever well, you want you're right officer <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> but yeah there's um there's also the the worst part there's a a name for this phenomenon but the worst part about online is that you can't tell someone's tone of voice and people enjoy trolling like you can't you can't type sarcasm and no you can't there should be a sarcasm font yeah, just like, like italics. I, or italic, like yeah, but you know, Facebook's got one font. Yeah, but um, you can't tell that, and that combined with how people only seem to read headlines these days is yeah. that like no one knows what's a joke anymore, and you could send someone real off the rails with something that you may have deemed just simple and harmless, and they yeah. could take it way too seriously, and it's uh, I'm not talking about anything specific. It can literally be about anything. Yeah. So, for example, uh, this is a, a silly example. Uh, two people I know were having a discussion about the moon landing, and 
the one person was jokingly saying that it was fake and the other person was not getting that he was joking and these and he got he was kind of getting upset with him even though he was blatantly just joking yeah and but you know not everyone gets everyone's tone of voice even in real life and it that's just exacerbated on the internet so you can you could say something that you're just like you think is just a little uh, quip and jest, and then all of a sudden that could turn you into an internet asshole or whatever. Well, that's the thing because you you're getting gut reactions because everything's taken at face value right away. So you get gut reactions, and then it just kind of is like it just feeds itself, and it becomes this whole fucking thing. So you know, yeah, freedom of speech is not without freedom of consequence. Yeah, you totally. can't just say anything you want and expect people to not react to whatever that may be. And it, you know, once again. I'm not talking about anything specific. This could literally apply to any difference of opinion on the internet over yeah. anything. Yeah. No one knows what, like, when you discuss with someone, it's completely different by, and even just by the act of, like, like commenting on someone's post. If it's a contrary opinion, they take it as hostility immediately. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a tough minefield to navigate. Yeah, it's, it really it's, is. Especially in a time period where, like, a lot of people are easily offended by things. Well, yeah, because you could have the wrong opinion and then be blacklisted for... I mean, it's usually to more a worse extent. You have to really say some shit, but, like, it gets really, like... I don't know. It can... It gets polarizing, I guess is the word. Because, you know, people keep score with likes. You can, like, like and, like, pile on. It's just really easy for things to go a certain way on the yeah. Internet. Meanwhile, as someone that goes across the country and meets people from all walks of life uh, frequently, you would never know what this person is like on the Internet when you meet them in person. It, it's like they could be the nicest human being, yeah. non-judgmental seeming, and then you get on the Internet and they're just like, oh, apparently they're in the clan. Like, yeah, no, that's true. That's I, what it's like, though. I, dude, I think about that sometimes because I think I'm too sh like salty on the internet. And I am in person, too. So I guess it's okay. But it's all in good fun, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like people meet me in person. They're like, oh, there's that guy that posts a lot online. And, oh, what's, how's, was he going to, I don't know. I don't want someone to meet me and be like, oh, I hope he doesn't post about me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's too much. I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of glad I don't know any live bloggers. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't mind going live on Facebook or whatever. And in fact, I'm really trying to start doing some uh, some live like synth performance. I'm just trying cool. to get better at it first, so I can keep like a maybe do like a good you know 20 minute set of just improv. That sounds fun. I, I, I like I don't I don't care if anyone watches it. I just want to do, do it. Fun. I thought about doing live podcasts, but I don't really know. I'm not sure. Still figuring it out. I accidentally find out your friend's an asshole in front of an audience. Yeah. <laughs> now everyone knows. Looks at the camera. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it it's it's not a bad idea, but could be fun. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm still looking into how I want to go about doing that. Yeah. And uh, once I once I'm a little more comfortable in, uh, you know, making everything flow together well, I'll, I'll work out some stuff. And uh, until then, I'm just kind of making my own on the side. I'm just making my own, uh, just like explorations of sound, and sometimes I'm posting them. And uh, yeah, you're doing a lot. I, I, you're learning about all the synths, which is really neat. Every time I meet, every time I see you, you're like telling me some shit. I'm like, oh damn, like I have to look into this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, you know what's weird? If you asked me two years ago, uh, I would have just looked at a synth and been like, nice piano. <laughs> but we went on the uh, we we went into the studio, and I started learning about like, like the difference of uh, just using a preset and using something that 
is like built up from scratch by yourself yeah and that's how you like people can tell in the industry and fans and anyone that makes their own music if you're using a preset because all the best things everyone has you know because everyone torrents that shit sure so like you know i'm the one behind because i don't have a i don't have any uh any plugins and splice too Spli- like things like splice are um a big part of that where you could just go you know, subscribe to a service and purchase small bits of songs or loops or samples that other people have made and throw it all together like a freeform jigsaw puzzle and that's call fun it, call it your work yeah um but i but uh so we're in the studio and i was like uh, we we're at uh silk silk city grooves up in patterson uh we were working with Walt de Christina, which was by far the most comfortable studio experience I've ever had. That's like, awesome. Uh, I heard someone say one time that there's never a more vulnerable moment in a musician's life than when they step into the recording booth, and it is true. You second-guess everything, but yeah. working with him was an absolute breath of fresh air. It, awesome. like There was no pressure, and uh, I, I, I make up my bass parts on the spot. I don't sit down and write everything out like i play the song i play the demo tracks of everything and you know so much might change when we start discussing all the things together about like how to fit parts together and how to evolve what we've been demoing and uh so i write my bass parts like i think about it a lot and but i just i just like write them right there when i'm in the chair playing them and it's it was so comfortable that I had no problem like even live streaming it as I was figuring it out. I was because like I just felt great. That's it awesome. was a wonderful experience. But um, while we were up there, he has a lot of really interesting uh, old equipment that they've collected in the area, and I was uh, heavily doing research at the time into it. And everything was just like it, it kind of like clicked. I was like, oh, if you want to make these sounds like I, I i go back to being a kid and hearing like billy joel's pressure and or elton john's funeral for a friend and just listening to those big synth sounds and not and it was like it was almost like 50 percent i wasn't looking into it yeah. and uh 50 i kind of liked the uh aura of mystery surrounding it i just assumed you just bought the right piano pressed a button and that sound came out which sure. to an extent is true but, uh, you have to know which ones are right now. There's so many. Yeah, but at that time, we had already had the Cyclone 9 tour planned. So we're going out with uh, Cyclone 9. And the the front man of that, Nero Bellum, is really good with modular synths and analog stuff. So uh, I decided Danny was talking about wanting to do more like synth stuff, like analog synth stuff. And I was like, I just started looking into it. And I was just, I started with. Uh, uh, I bought a Arturium Microbrute. Um, I got a Juno, a Roland Juno DI, which is like their digital uh, computer connected uh, Juno, like a stage synthesizer. Mm-hmm. I got I, I got that off of the Gear Exchange on Facebook for like twenty dollars because it was advertised as not working. And then I realized that just the filter was turned all the way down and it doesn't <laughs> have onboard speakers. What board. a deal. Nice. And uh you know, I just I've just been trading around and uh building You were always up good at it. that. Like I mean that's how you found our fucking stolen PA head. Like, I, I didn't you were going to the trading post to find shit and like, always flip bro- it. I was always broke but I wanted to like make different sounds with like my bass and uh you know like you when you don't have money and you're just barely getting by on equipment as it is in punk bands and whatever 
you'd start it, it, it's really it makes sense to learn all the ins and outs of equipment old and new and uh, you have to kind of learn which opinions about gear to to take into consideration because some are very snobby while others might be a more honest opinion about something sure so i started getting i got the micro brute and it was actually interesting artorias artoria very generously gave me their entire collection recently That's so great. It, it, it you know it escalated to a pretty cool place yeah uh, so thank you very much artoria for that but um, you know, I got some of those Korg Volkas and I got some of those teenage engineering pocket operators and I didn't have a goddamn clue what I was doing. So I hit up Nero on uh, Instagram messages and I was like, look, uh, would you be willing to maybe, you know, show me a few things? And he was very, very cool about it. And he was like, any chance we got to talk about synth stuff, he would tell me about this or that. And usually it wasn't specifics. It was um, the beginning. It was specifics, but eventually he was just kind of opening my eyes to the world of gear. And yeah, uh, I got and I still use a uh, because of that tour. Um, I think it was uh, Rodney, their guitarist. He was uh, they were doing an old school tour that was like so so industrial so goth so cool it was all it was like it was like two synth players nero and a drummer and it was so cool yeah but i learned a lot about it. i ended up getting like a smaller version of what rotney had in terms of um in terms of a synthesizer it was uh he has system eight and uh, i i just got this i got the system one which i still tour nice and it's just been like you know trading um i spent a lot of time going to flea markets and thrift stores and like looking up specific old like casio and yamaha toy keyboards that had specific attributes and it all kind of like blended together and i was just doing a lot of trading with old this old toy gear just by knowing what was uh important about it like not just buying everything because a lot of them are just like uh what we call romplers so it's just like roms uh like rom players essentially they uh they just play samples yeah. of uh usually fate um like uh phase distortion they call it sometimes or um sometimes they'll call it pulse code modulation but uh they're they're all like sampled since because you they have no control they don't need to it's what you get is what you get yeah but uh, I got I started looking for ones that were specifically interesting. Like I found the uh, Casio VL tone, and it, that was uh, if, you, if you've heard you've heard a song that uses the drum beat on that that doot, 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 that <laughs> classic Casio tone, and like I was just like I was researching everything I came across because some of them have really cool features. That one has a full set of editable features that you have to access by entering numbers into the calculator in a funny way. That's neat. It is the least practical way of programming of a synth, but like I found that and um I I found the uh, Yamaha PSS 460, which is another toy keyboard. It's uh like an late 80s kind of guy, but the interesting thing about that was that it's um it's all it's got the same voice chip that you would see in uh the sound blaster from uh like uh audio card for computers from that time period so it it's basically a chip tune keyboard for playing dos music so I, would, I i go and i was looking for things like that next time i come over i want to play that actually oh absolutely i, I love that thing we uh, just featured it in the uh in the poison apple video in fact um <laughs> i don't know how proud it is it's kind of like like putting like hidden hidden subtle things in it and at, at some point my friend was just like 
like bent over the table drinking a beer and I was using her as the keyboard stand. So it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of like a, a consensual, hilarious, raunchy, like Easter egg. And uh, we forced a continuity error for it at some point it switched positions. Oh, so great. then she was like, like, like faux pegging me while playing the keyboard. <laughs> it, was, it was a great time. And uh, so if you look at the background of that, you might see that. That was a, do you switch off between keyboard and bass live? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I'm trying to do it more, but so there's certain, there's like, is there I don't base have, like in the backing track for when you switch or like you just kind of find it's just there. not there. Yeah. Um, so when we do reckless heart, reckless heart was very much, that's the one we do it now, but I'm going to be, you know, incorporating it into more stuff now that I'm more comfortable with it. When I started doing this, I could barely play keys. Yeah. I still can barely play keys, but I get by on like a, you know, like a 25 key like bass oriented synthesizer. For what you're doing, you don't need like left. I mean, maybe sometimes left and right hand, but like block chords and melody. Like it's well, more for those synth sounds. You just play. Yeah, well, I need. Leads. I use my right hand, or uh, I use. I play with my right hand, and I then I use. The yeah, my I the le, having uh, having access to all the that's knobs is more, my less for, left for hand. For Echo needs. Black, that's what it's more like. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So it's more about it's for what I do. You know, I play some of the rhythms and things, but it's more about like building a sound for yeah. that song yeah soundscapes and ambience whatever. exactly and like I'm, I'm heavily influenced by like you know thought process wise uh video games Hans zimmer and like like the way you create worlds and and it, like I, that fascinates me so yeah. incorporating that into our live show is why i got the synthesizer and i you know i've got some pre-programmed banks i just kind of you know spend time with it in my free time and i make up things that will uh kind of our like i can i'll latch the notes on a chord and just let it arpeggiate up an octave or two and then just mess with it so it kind of creates ambiance in between songs but then i can let it go for a second and tune my bass that's fun so that's important too is like having stuff in between songs live um yeah, instead was... of like i, I saw like a, a band once from michigan and between every song they didn't know what to say so they just said yeah, we're from Michigan, and they just kept saying it. like, and they weren't like doing it as a bit. Like I counted, like they said it four times after, like in between songs and stuff. But like having synth going or like loops or anything, which just like kind of feels natural instead of everything stopping and the energy stopping. Yeah, it's 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 created a very nice uh, kind of like transition between songs, and we can stretch it out a little further if we need more time to tune or switch tunings or whatever. Because at the end of the day, you're putting on a show. Yeah, you know? and um, we've we run our show in Ableton and. We uh we do play to a track, but if you were to take our track away, like like I haven't even been shy about showing people our track before. If anyone you know wants to hear what it sounds like, I'll show it to you. Most of it's just the instruments. So you like if you were to just play our track, you wouldn't even know what song it was, except for like you know the harmony, the vocal harmonies, harmonies. that are unrealistically and obviously pitch shifted. Sure, like things that couldn't physically exist. And that's anyway. the vibe of the music too, is having those effects on vocals at times. You know, I, yeah, like we we want it to sound good. We want it to. We want you to know that we're all musicians. That we play our instruments. That we put a lot of time and effort into putting our show together. But yeah. like we don't. We have a show. That's what it is. We, yeah. uh, we, well, cause you do lights too. Yeah. Lights we, uh, are we MIDI. program our own lights and we sync that up to our, tr our click track, which you know, I, I regret every moment of my life. I talk shit on click tracks, click tracks for performance are no, the neat. absolute best. I mean, for a dance rock band, quote unquote, like perfect. You want a steady beat for people to dance to and shit, you know? I think the biggest advantage of it, like 
like if if like my in ears, I don't have good in ears, so they fall out a lot. Mm-hmm. And I could still play fine because as long as my drummer is playing in time to the click. Yeah, yeah, it's just a metronome. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, it doesn't like robotically force you to do something differently. Yeah. It just keeps you in time. That's for, all it is. For all the shit I'm doing, it's like. I can play to one, like I have. I've heard like the Enagles EPA, I track to one for the best of the worst stuff I do. Invalids is different because it's like programmed drums. Then the guitars are recorded to that. So that's like technically two a click and then I record to the guitars. Um, for all the shit I'm doing like with the slowdowns and stuff, it's just like... Yeah, well that's like, that's uh, in terms of a scenario that's that's different. You yeah. Know? Like, if I mean like I've and I've I've mapped out clicks for when we go in the studio and it's just a pain in the ass and then like yeah tem- tempo changes and uh, tempo changes and time signature changes are where that becomes very complicated because yeah. more you know, so tempo because you have to draw in the tempo changes like a time signature change I I'm, I'm like you know it's not you have to write it in and it's just annoying yeah but, like you have to almost just like record your click track and then record your click track again at this part and then stitch it all together and yeah. make it its own track yeah. But ours is basically just like, it's just like the metronome. Straightforward, yeah. And that's good. It works. It helps you all play together solid. But like when you have a lot of people coming out to see your show, or it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't matter. When you, we still play to nobody sometimes. Like everyone does. Yeah. Like if you don't, if you don't play to nobody every once in a while, then you're doing something wrong as a band. Where's, where's your band's soul? Yeah. But like, you know, it's, it toughens your skin. You need those it. are great shows to especially mess around and get a little more experimental because, you know, if there's not even enough people for someone to care enough to have a cell phone camera out, then yeah. that's the best time to experiment with new ideas on sure. stage. But, yeah. uh, like I love, love playing to the click. Cause if someone like falls, like our show is high energies, it happens. I've fallen off stage before <laughs> I climb things. So like, yeah. you know, yeah, I'll jump up onto the bar, high five the bartender or try to order a drink while playing a song <laughs> and slip off like a dumbass on my way back down. It <laughs> happens, great. but yeah, when you, if something like that were to happen and you weren't playing to a click, you would like screw up the rest of the band. Oh, yeah. But this way you can you can like still put on a good show through your errors and you know pick up where you left off and it overall it just tightens everything up. Totally. But uh, we we've played shows without our click and backing tracks. We don't. They're not our crutch. We don't need them That's to awesome. be our band. Yeah. Um, Danny doesn't have. Uh, backing tracks for his vocals like aside from like unrealistic harmonies and i saw like, we came as in choruses and i things. saw we came as romans as at bamboozle i don't like i just i was there and they were playing and the singer Rest literally yeah was it the singer that died yeah all right the singer put the mic out to the crowd and the vocals was just still at 100 percent in the in the pa it's kind of hard to look past that like I know a lot of people do it, and I don't... Shit's whack, in my opinion. It is what it is. I don't care enough to kind of point fingers and blame people. Everyone knows people do it. Yeah. uh, Danny can sing. Yeah, Yeah, no, Danny can. Real pipes. I'm sure the person from We Came as Romans was a good singer, too. It was just at the show. Like, I don't know. It's it's like it's we've we've had a very uh, fortunate run, and we've toured with a lot of bands that do sing. Yeah. Um, I haven't really... Off the top of my head, I can't think of a specific band we've actually toured with. Toured with that backtrack their vocals. They they've all been people that you don't talk to them thirty minutes to an hour before their set because they're in their bus with a with a mini keyboard or warming something, up. just warming up their notes, like taking it seriously because yeah. they still treat their voices as instruments. Yeah. So you still get 
you still see that a lot and i'm i'm not gonna say bands don't do that yeah but I'm, I'm saying you can notice that that boy got a cold for sure dude there's a video of t-pain on like did did a tiny desk session and he sounds awesome like with no auto tune, like just singing, like really good. And I never knew he could actually sing. Well, yeah, that was like a. There's some. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things like that. His uh, his style was his concept and style was like people hated on it because it was new. And now look, everyone does it. Animated. It was a. It was a game changer. That was, was. that was meta as fuck. Yeah, it totally really was. was. Changed like, everything. And you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, like uh, I like seeing when people like that have real talent like there's nothing worse than finding out someone that you're really fond of or look up to musically isn't as musically gifted or didn't put as much time and effort into it as you wanted to think they did yeah that's the thing with music sometimes like it's just is luck and like i i try not to get bitter even though i totally am about most shit but like you know there's bands that aren't like great musicians and i still like their music well you know these songs are fun like it's not about what you say, it's like how you say it. And if you're playing like fun music and it sounds cool, then whatever, you know? I mean, that's all this is to me. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if I didn't love doing it and I absolutely love doing it. Yeah. So like you know, it's when you get to a, when you're still doing music, and I'm sure you get where I'm coming from with this, you start to see people around you moving on with their lives and you know, getting married, having kids and uh owning houses yeah. and all these things that you start to wonder like what if i wasn't doing music where would i be yeah but you know i have me i have music i chose this life and i don't regret it at all i do it because i absolutely love doing it and that's all there is to it what else would we do <laughs> we'd be I'm, fucking lost i'm not sure what i would do if i didn't get into music i'm not sure what i'd do if i never like got into the new brunswick scene in the first place yeah like, i'd probably never have taken music further or seriously and it just I'm glad I did. Yeah. You know, you, you only live once. Do something do something you enjoy doing. For like, sure. You know, ever it's like uh, they teach you in art school that like it's almost like, Hey, you're an artist now, but you know, don't under don't overlook that coffee house job. You're gonna need that. Yeah. Like you have to like, you know, we all still have jobs. Yeah. We, we come home We're making it work. We come home from tour. I've we've I've lost jobs for this band, uh indirectly, but you know, it, it happens. Yeah. You got it, you know. It's a grind, but it's rewarding, I'd say. I'd say staying in your own lane with your music, which I think Echo Black does, and, you know, grinding it out and touring for two months. You hopefully, you know, it, it's the best tour you've done. I really hope it is. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm really I'm, yeah, nervous always, but really excited about it. I can't wait. <laughs> if you're listening to this, check out Echo Black and uh, go see him on tour. Is there anything else you want to add? Oh, that was pretty much it that's been great thank you for having me thanks Rob take care